0: He stated that he had been appointed to suggest a president for
1: Howard College. So there was a lot of industry investment when I grew up, a lot of progressiveness. However, it was still a typical small southern town. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I didn't know what Alabama was until I stepped foot in Alabama. I was not greeted. My head, groups, I was greeted by Martha Ann and.
2: Welcome back to Sam Dot Wave. I'm your host, Claire Davis. Today, we will look at an intergenerational oral history project that Sanford students took part in this semester. This project is funded by the Alabama Humanities Foundation, and it created a platform for college students to interact with senior citizens living at Episcopal Place. On a sunlit road not far from the hustle and bustle of Highland Avenue, the Episcopal Place Senior Living Facility sits near Urban Park and the Virginia Sanford Theater. An affordable housing option for seniors, Episcopal Place is host to a lively community of people who continue to live their lives to the fullest. Samford students met up with them here each week of the semester. So you met yes. for the stair?
3: Yes. Oh, yes. That's so cool. I was
2: 16 years old. With the help of grant funding from the Alabama Humanities Foundation, the Story Office worked with Samford University's Man Center to organize a service cadre centered on creating relationships between generations. Partly an opportunity for these groups to meet and partly a way to archive the community's stories, the project required students to visit Episcopal Place residents weekly. Playing card games and working on craft projects together, students built connections with their interview partners for weeks before ever pulling out a recorder. When I first heard about the project, I wondered how this might affect the interview experience, since most of our interviewers meet their subject for the first or second time at the interview. So, I did a little oral history work of my own and interviewed Mia Owens, who has worked with us on prior projects. She interviewed Episcopal Place resident Thelma Jackson a woman you'll hear from later in this episode, and who, as it turns out, came from a similar area of Alabama as Mia's family. I think the part
3: that interested me the most was when she was talking about her childhood living on a farm in Utah, Alabama, because that's not super far away from where my grandparents grew up. And she would talk about experiences um, as a child there and how she had all these brothers and sisters. And they were. I she said that she had, I think it's like seven or nine siblings and <laughs> I was just imagining that like in comparison to my family who has so I have three siblings I just couldn't imagine what that would be like I was thinking about that family dynamic it was really interesting and then um she's talking about um like picking pecans at the trees or helping out with the farming every once in a while or chopping wood I definitely didn't grow up in that setting, but whenever I went to my grandparents' house, I could relate to some of those experiences. I think just seeing those links between us, even though we never were in contact with each other until now, was the coolest part for me. So I think that kind of is what stuck out to me the most with that, just the relationship that we kind of had, even though we are different 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 generations, we have things that we can still relate on, I think was super cool.
2: One of my favorite parts of the interview was after, like, you'd kind of ended the interview, but yeah. you started talking about, <laughs> like, fresh vegetables and stuff, and it was so fun to hear both of you go, like,
3: oh, yes, I've done that before, it's so great. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when she talked about the, um, what was it, the swing shots or something, yeah. I was like, I thought, because we had BB guns, and so I was like, did you try to, like, shoot your siblings with that, like we did, or is that just the us thing, or? <laughs> I thought that was really funny. But I'm really glad because I was right in the interview there. And then she just kind of like started up again. I was like, oh yeah, that's like,
2: that's definitely where we have stuff in common. And it's cool that we can relate on that. Thelma was full of stories about her childhood in Utah. Besides swapping stories about muscadine grapes and slingshots, Thelma also told Mia about her mother's quilting bee.
1: And Mama had a quilting bee. They call it quilting bee. mm mm-hmm. Uh, Maud, Cutting Fanny, Miss Adeline, Miss Lula. It was six of them. I forgot another two. Mama, and it was one other woman. Daddy made a hole. Daddy and the boys made a hole, four holes in the ceiling. And they put a rope down, and I don't know how they bought the top to keep the rope up there. But we could roll the quilt down so we could sit down in a chair and quilt on it. And then at night, roll the quilt up so we could walk around in the living room because the, the yeah. quilt was down in the living room because that was the biggest room in the house because it was the kitchen,
0: mm-hmm. the
1: backside was a bed, and then the fireplace was here. But we would quilt on the quilt in the daytime, roll it up at night, and then the next day if we were not busy, we would roll it down and quilt again. But I wanted to learn how to quilt so I could be with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, first I was under the quilt playing and Mama said, you can't play, if you're going to be in here, you're going to quilt. So I started trying to make stitches. Every day they would look at the work I had done and pull it out. Oh, this is too big. Then finally I kept practicing on a piece of scrap fabric. I'd sit down and make stitches. One day, they left my stitches in, and that that's how I learned how to sew.
2: <laughs> Other residents, like Pat C. Allen, grew up in the more urban area of Birmingham. She told her interviewer, Maggie Shaw, about her memories of the train in town during World War II. In World War
4: II, <clears throat> I was quite young, but I had three brothers and a brother-in-law, and they were all over the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, my daddy just wrung his hand, worrying about the about the boys. Yeah. But it was kind of funny because sometimes when they were before they went overseas, they would come through on a, on a, on the railroad going to another part of the, of the United States. Yeah. And they would always call, and we would all pile in the car and go down there. Mother would have candy and cookies, and I was designated to follow the train and throw them the tangy because they couldn't get off and we couldn't get on. Oh, my
2: gosh. We had a lot of fun doing that. Judy Pittman also shared her formative experience as a child in the heart of downtown Birmingham. As the daughter of two department store owners, Judy often traveled to their store after school, which led to a short but impactful memory.
4: I spent my younger years after school riding the bus to downtown and going to my daddy's office to do my homework. I even uh, had chickenpox in the bedroom department on the second floor because mother and daddy both had to be at work and I was. Uh, we didn't have help, so I had mine back in the be- very back in the bed with. Well, not everybody goes to a store to have chicken pox, so my life was a little different being downtown.
2: Recording someone's personal experience during well-known parts of recorded history is often the driving force behind oral history work, and there were plenty of personal stories to be found in Episcopal Place of that nature. Resident David Schneider worked for an airline catering company, and he shared his experience of 9-11 with us in his joint interview with Mary Ann Spring.
0: Yeah, I worked at San Francisco International Airport okay. for a catering company. I catered the airlines, oh, you know, drove the truck out, truck went up, you know, scissor truck, high lift truck. Was that fun day? It was in the beginning, uh-huh. and then after a while, it's, you know... It's, Companies change hands, and after nine eleven, uh, everything mm-hmm. started going downhill. Uh, it wasn't the same customer service; uh, wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to save money, but I did that thirty eight years mm-hmm. out there. So I've seen a lot of changes with airplanes, and you know, there's. I was out there the day that nine eleven happened. I can remember that I was with my uh, partner. And we I were catering Continental Airlines that morning. Uh-huh. And we we go out with two trucks, and you have three th- three flights in one truck, the meal carts and whatnot, liquor carts, two in another one. We had done four, one, two, three, four flights already, and we're doing our last one. And uh, it was a 737, I still remember. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was a nice day morning. And I remember seeing two of the continental planes that we catered coming back to the gate. And then when we drove back, going through the alleyway to the kitchen, looking in the window where the the, uh, uh, the cafeteria was, everybody's standing there watching the TV and as I went through I could see the tower on fire. Um. That's one thing that stands out, you know, working at the airport.
2: On the other hand, oral histories also preserve the culture of a society. Many of the women the students interviewed held jobs and told us about the societal norms they had to overcome to be successful. Many, like Pat Allen, found a workaround to the rules.
4: Well, they were were in the building business, and I had been around it. I had a friend that was in Mm estate and she kept begging me. She said, you're just... You know the business, the whole thing. You just need to go. So I finally went. I told my husband I was going to go to real estate school. He said, okay. So I went, and then I took my boards, you know, things, mm-hmm. and I passed them. And what was so funny was my husband said, and I passed my boards and everything, and I was mad because I thought I should have gotten a better grade than I got. <laughs> <When> I <was laughs> that wouldn't be me. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I, and... Uh, I was saying something to him about it. He said, "Well, well, you're not going to sell. You're not going to work, are you?" And I said, "Well, I was thinking about it." And he said, "Well, what are we going to do?" And I said, "And of course, I had my baby was Andrew, my mm-hmm. son. My two girls were grown." And I said, "You and Andrew just to have to learn that I'm when i have to stay late, I'll be late. Period." Nice. <laughs>
3: It's a big deal in the nineteen fifties.
4: Yeah, that's right for me, but that was another thing. I went to get my own bank account. They wanted my husband to sign for it, and I said no. <laughs> and they said, uh, "Well, we have to have we just have to have your son, husband's signature." And I said, "Well, I'll tell you what," uh, and I was. I was at the bank, and it just happened that one of my friend's son was the uh, lawyer for that bank. I told him, I said, well, I can just call Mr. Wamscon and see if he would give me the bank. And they said, that won't be necessary. Wow. I learned to take up for myself. Yeah, you did. and. See, some of the girls that were a little bit older than me, they kept telling me, you need to get something so-and-so done. You need to get so-and-so done. Because really, women women were not, were, I was <laughs> they were second
2: in second place. Yeah.
4: They're not now. You know it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I wish we had time to go into all the stories we collected. Judy Pittman's experience owning her own clothing store, Mary Ann Dre Springs' relationships with the people she used to counsel, and Thelma Jackson's adjustment to urban life as she taught HomeX skills at YMCAs all spoke volumes about the people they are and how they lived their lives according to the values they were taught as children. Listening to these stories as I prepared this episode made me realize how many vibrant, interesting people can live in one apartment complex downtown, and I only got to meet them over at Recordings. I can't imagine what a blessing it is to the students in the project who are continuing to meet with their interview partner for the rest of the semester. Which brings me back to Mia's interview. Since she's worked with us before on more academic research projects, I also got to ask what stood out to her from this project, and her answer exemplifies one of the reasons we began this project at all, to start conversations. I think overall I'm just really grateful that you guys had this project,
3: and I got to just experience that through getting to go to Episcopal place and getting to get to know the people there. It's interesting to hear about they, they still have uncertainties about things and they still have things they want to do and they still have you know dreams they want to achieve. And I think it's just really encouraging and I think it's just cool to be able to be like hear about their experiences and then feel encouraged by whoever is going to come after college because they lived through that. And they have all this advice that they can share with you. And they're just so happy that we're interested in getting to know them. I think that's what surprised me the most was when she was talking about how she was, like, really glad that I treated her as a person. Because I guess that you don't, if you don't have family nearby, or if you're just, like, living in this community, you kind of feel isolated. It's like getting to hear that she was really... Like, flattered by the fact that we were willing to go and talk to them. I just thought it's just such a simple thing to do But I guess it was a little abnormal for her Because there are a ton of resources that bridge a gap between those two like age groups But being able to have Start started that relationship and then the possibility of having that continue is just I think it's so cool Because it's not we didn't just come and say oh we're doing this project Okay, bye. It's something that I think could like potentially become a lasting relationship, or it's kind of a it's a reciprocal thing. It's not us a Stanford or a Story coming in and just like getting a story and then leaving. It's something that's definitely more relational. We would. I remember when the scupper dogs were in season pick them and you're supposed to yeah. eat them but you couldn't the skin because
1: <laughs> they were too tough yeah <laughs> take them off the vine and eat them mm-hmm. uh, and i was eating cucumbers the other day mm-hmm. and uh i thought about it. daddy used to pull them off the vine and wipe it off on his shirt yep. tail <laughs> and bite it start eating it uh-huh. yeah and
3: then for the oak river they had to i think my grandfather wore gloves because...
2: thanks for listening to this episode of sam.wave until you hear from us again make waves Our theme was written and produced by Sanford student, Carrie Joyner. The interview with Mia Owens was conducted by Claire Davis. The interview with Thelma Jackson was conducted by Mia Owens. The interview with Pat Allen was conducted by Maggie Shaw. The interview with Judy Pittman was conducted by Nathan Saab. The interview with David Schneider and Mary Ann Spring was conducted by Julian Jorgensen. This project could not have been done without the Alabama Humanities Foundation. Special thanks to their help funding the project as well as to Samford's Man Center for Ethics in organizing the Cadre portion of this project. This episode was written and produced by Michelle Little and Claire Davis. This is a Samford Traditions and Oral History Recording Initiative production. For more information on our program, you can find our page on the Samford website or follow us on social media at Facebook and Instagram at Samford story and on Twitter at SU underscore story.